0: The well-known author, Rudyard Kipling, was at one point so popular that he was being paid ten shillings per word for his writings, and a rather self-important group of young college students decided to write to him, so they composed a letter, they sent it to him, they enclosed ten shillings, and they asked him, please send us your best word." Well, Kipling responded with a one-word letter, and that word was, thanks. (laughs) Not only did those students get what they paid for, they also got what they asked for. Kipling's best word. Thanks, or thank you, ought to be high on anyone's list of good words, of best words. And the person who can't bring himself to say thank you is more severely handicapped than any physical disability. The happiest people are those who have an attitude of gratitude, as it's called, an ability to see the blessings that God has given in their lives. Would that describe you? Are you that sort of person? Are you grateful or hateful? Are you the kind of person who complains that roses have thorns or are you grateful that thorns have roses? You know, those are the most blessed, the ones who make every day of the year a day of thanksgiving. The Bible instructs us, basically, to do exactly that. I want us to look into the Word this morning in Colossians chapter 3. Three short verses, 15, 16, and 17, and uh, as I read these for us, I want you to pay attention to the gratitude that is a part of what Paul writes in these verses. If you are able, I invite you to stand with me while I read. The Bible says, Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thank you. Please be seated. As we dig down a bit deeper into these verses, we recognize that ingratitude produces strife. It produces strife within us, and it produces strife outside of us, in verse 15, the first part of that, for example, it says, The peace of Christ rules in the hearts of those who are thankful and grateful. But ingratitude always produces discontent. Without exception, ingratitude produces discontent. A life of grumbling and complaint is a miserable existence. No one likes a complainer, we all know that. And yet some of us struggle to keep ourselves from doing it, don't we? Years ago there was a, a little item in the, the uh, Houston Post about a lady who actually complained to the government that the extra hour of sunlight during daylight savings time was burning up her lawn. And she's not the brightest bulb on the string, is she? <laughs> but you know, habitual complainers usually aren't. They don't have the good sense to recognize how good God has been to them. Common sense tells us we're among the most blessed people on earth. An ungrateful, complaining spirit is always discontented, stirred up, full of strife, doesn't let the peace of Christ's rule in the heart. But there is an external strife as well. In the second part of verse 15, Paul speaks of being called to peace as members of the one body of Christ. A failure to be thankful for what we have, complaining about what we don't have, is one of the quickest ways to destroy peace in the body there's a writer named Jay Adams who tells a story that anyone who has a hummingbird feeder will identify with. He talks about the hummingbird feeder that they have in their backyard. He says it has four holes on it where the hummingbirds can stick in their beaks and get the sugared water that's inside. But in spite of that, he says every day there is a battle royale going on around that hummingbird feeder in the backyard. He said, one bird who becomes king of the hill chases all of the others away. Though there's room for four birds at a time, the top dog who now owns the feeder defies others to transgress on what he has established as his territory. Now we keep two hummingbird feeders on our back deck and it's interesting to see one bird try to protect both of those feeders. As one comes over here, he runs over there to chase that one away, and another one comes over here, I don't know how he gets any rest. But that's the way it is. And Mr. Adams says, the whole business has become a a sort of a parable for our family, the family of God. He says, this is an example of grace. I bought the feeder, he said. I supply the sugar water. The birds don't earn it. They receive it all absolutely free. Yet day after day after day they fight over who may enjoy it. How like the people of God, all we have or are that is worthwhile is the gift of God's pure grace. And yet we are proud, self-centered, envious, quarrelsome, territorial. Often we fight over God's good gifts rather than expressing our gratitude in humility and sharing what we've been given with others. He says, just as I am confronted daily with rivalry in my yard, even so God is confronted daily with rivalry in His. Because that failure to recognize the abundance of God's blessings in our lives not only stirs up strife within us, but we, we infect others with that same strife as well. It spreads beyond us. So how can we overcome that kind of ungodly behavior. How can we develop peace both in the body of Christ and in our own hearts? Well Paul tells us explicitly the end of verse 15 he says and be thankful. Three words translated almost identically in every English translation that I consulted at least. And be thankful. Now I don't know if he intended it to be communicated with that kind of a an emphasis or not, he wrote it, he didn't speak it, maybe he underlined it, maybe he wrote it in bold, whatever the case. But it's absolutely clear, isn't it? We should be thankful. It's the Word of God, written here very unmistakably. But you know it's the thankful soul that is the most blessed. Now notice I didn't say it's the blessed soul that is the most thankful, It is the thankful soul that is the most blessed. The colorful 19th century preacher Henry Ward Beecher illustrated it, interestingly, like this. He said, If one should give me a dish of sand and tell me there were particles of iron in it, I might look for them with my clumsy fingers and be unable to detect them. But let me take a magnet... And sweep through it, it would draw to itself the most invisible particles. He said, The unthankful heart, like my finger in the sand, discovers no mercies. But let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find some heavenly blessings. An example of that might be something that happened in the life of Matthew Henry the Bible commentator, best known for his one-volume commentary on the whole Bible. Matthew Henry was robbed one day, and that night in his journal, he wrote, Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't much. And fourth... Because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Seeing God's goodness, it's the the thankful heart that is the most blessed in life. It's the thankful person whose life is characterized by peace and joy and happiness and contentment. We know that when we think about it rationally. We we know that in our heads. So why aren't we more thankful? One reason, I think, is that we begin to take our blessings for granted. Indeed, the more affluent we are and the longer that affluence lasts, the more we take those blessings for granted and can even begin to develop a sense of entitlement related to them. We start to think that we're the ones who earn those things and we deserve them. They're not given to us by God's grace. And so we aren't as thankful as we ought to be. There's an old proverb that says we never know the worth of water till the well runs dry. As long as we have it, we take it for granted. It's really a matter of perspective If we could see our blessings through the eyes of those who are not so blessed, we would immediately become more thankful. The Christian author and pastor, Max Lucado, tells about learning that lesson a long time ago while he was a missionary in Brazil at the end of a frustrating week where nothing went right. It began on Sunday night. He was taking some relatives down to southern Brazil to see the Iguazu Falls and a canceled flight left them stranded for several hours in the Sao Paulo airport. He said once we finally got there it was raining and it rained the whole time that they were there. But he was determined to make a video recording of the falls in a day when not every phone had a video recorder on it, he had a nice video camera, and so he carried that video camera for a mile through a rainstorm, only then to discover that he had left the camera turned on for the previous hour, run the battery down, and all he had to show for it was video of the inside of his camera bag. (laughs) On top of that, when he got back, he found out that the rain had ruined the camera, Several hundred dollars worth of ruin to be exact, and that was only Wednesday. The week wasn't over yet. He said back in Rio, he found out that his wife had promised her family that they would spend the Christmas holidays with them, but he had already promised his family that they would spend the Christmas holidays with them. And obviously, you know the dilemma that produced. Then on Thursday, his wife called him at home to say that the car had broken down in town and wouldn't start. So he walked to the shopping center where it was parked. He got in, he tried it, and nothing would happen. So he uh, called a tow truck, but they were busy. They asked if he could wait a few minutes. He said, in Brazil, the word minutes can better be translated years. So he waited... And he waited and he waited. He says, my children grew up and had children of their own and still I was waiting. (laughs) The truck finally came. As he got in the car to put the transmission in neutral, he thought, you know, might as well try it one more time. And guess what happened? It started. So, he says, "Uh, what I ended up doing was I paid the the driver to watch me start my car and uh, sent him on his way, waited all that time. So as I was driving the car to the mechanics, he said, I was fuming, I was angry, I was frustrated, I was feeling sorry for myself, I was complaining. But then he said God sent him what Lucado calls an angel, an angel in the form of a nine-year-old orphan boy who tapped on his window at a stoplight and asked him if he had any spare change. Locato engaged the boy, discovered that his name was Jose, and that he had barely collected enough all that day to buy a soft drink. So Locato says, I reached in my wallet, pulled out the equivalent of a dollar. His eyes brightened, mine watered. The light changed, and the cars behind me honked. As I drove away, I saw him running to tell his friends what he had received. And Locato began to see his problems a little differently. At that moment, he thought to himself, you don't want to mess with airlines? (laughs) This boy doesn't have that problem. Are you frustrated with your video camera? Jose doesn't have to worry about that. What What he might eat for his next meal, he worries about, but not video cameras. What about families? You worried about where to spend the holidays? He said, this orphan would be glad to have either family. And when it comes to cars? He said, try walking everywhere you go. Lucado says, the point God made was this. You cry over spilled champagne. Your complaints aren't over the lack of necessities, but the abundance of benefits. You bellyache over the frills, not the basics over benefits, not essentials. The source of your problems, he said, is your blessings. He said, Jose gave me a lot for my dollar. He gave me a lesson on gratitude. How true is it that the source of our, so many of our problems, our frustrations, is our blessings? We have what they call first-world problems. You know, this boy was in a third-world situation where their problems are what they eat, what they're going to wear, where they're going to spend the night to get out of the weather. Our problems are related to airline schedules and video cameras and cars and families and all of that sort. So the Bible exhorts us to be thankful. But to whom are we to render our thanks? Where is our gratitude due? The Bible tells us that it's God to whom we should be thankful. There are three admonitions to be thankful or grateful in these three verses. The last two tell us specifically where that gratitude is to be directed. Listen as I read. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, through Jesus. You see, God is the source of all of our blessings. We should thank God for them. There's a thought exercise someone came up with some years ago that sort of reinforces the debt we owe to God. It goes, it's a little what-if game. goes like this. What if God couldn't take the time to bless us today because we couldn't take the time to thank Him yesterday? What if God wouldn't listen to us today because we wouldn't listen to Him yesterday? What if God answered our prayers the way we answer His call to serve? What if God took away the Bible because we don't value it enough to read it and study it? What if God took away His message because we don't listen to His messengers? What if God stopped leading us tomorrow because we wouldn't follow Him today? If that were the kind of God we serve, we would be in a sorry state indeed. But God is not like that, thankfully. No, God is gracious. God is good. God is benevolent. God is generous toward us in every possible way. Even though our lives may not always look the way we want them to look, If we open our eyes to what God has done for us, we can't help but be thankful people. Whatever your situation may be, God has loved you, God has blessed you. The only question is, can you see it? Are you aware of it? You know, if God had blessed us with absolutely nothing else, God has given us the greatest gift ever offered in His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to take our place, so that we could confess our sins, repent, be forgiven, because of His sacrifice. If we have no other blessing, that is enough to drive us to our knees in gratitude for what God in His grace, His mercy, His love has done for us. In just a a moment or two, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, as we call it. In other denominational traditions, it's known as the Eucharist. A year ago, I preached about that. It's called the Eucharist, which means giving thanks. You know, in verse 15 where the Apostle Paul says, and be thankful, the Greek word he uses for being thankful is eucharistoi, eucharist, to be thankful, to express gratitude. It comes from the words of our Lord Jesus when he instituted the supper in Matthew chapter 26. I would invite you now to find your package of the elements and open up the side with the wafer and take it out. I want to read for us from Matthew chapter 26 as Jesus blesses the bread and and shares it with His disciples. And After I read this, we'll pray our own prayer of gratitude and partake together, remembering the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus and being thankful for that sacrifice and what it accomplishes. The Bible says, Matthew 26, verse 26, While they were eating that Passover meal that they were having together, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to His disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the body of our Lord Jesus who bore the stripes that heal us, who takes away our iniquity because he bore it himself. We give you our gratitude for that today. And as we partake of this symbol of his body broken for us, we remember that sacrifice. And we pray, God, that we would live lives that are worthy of it. And always be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.